Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 10th edition of WarComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A driver who had his face slashed by a passenger while working a night shift as an Uber driver has filed a lawsuit seeking workers' compensation insurance coverage from Uber Technologies. The ride-hailing platform classifies its drivers as independent contractors. The lawsuit, which was filed by Abdo Gazin in San Francisco Superior Court, is seeking class action status as well as an injunction, damages, and penalties against Uber. This is the latest in a line of similar lawsuits against the on-demand economy that have been filed against Uber and other new tech platforms insisting that the workers be treated as employees. The suit claims that Uber's misclassification of drivers as independent contractors gives it an unfair advantage over competing transportation companies. Ghazi's suit demands that he be given workers' compensation benefits, something that is mandated in some cases even when workers are not considered employees, as is the case for taxi drivers in California. San Francisco taxi officials say workers' compensation coverage costs nearly $5,000 per cab per year. And they have long complained that it is unfair that taxi companies must provide drivers with workers' compensation coverage, while there is no similar requirement for drivers for Uber and similar on-demand platforms like Lyft and Sidecar. The driver in this case suffered a broken nose and four puncture wounds to his nose and mouth when he was attacked without provocation by a male passenger. The perpetrator was later taken into custody after attempting to break into someone's house. He has been charged with one count of assault with force likely to cause great bodily injury, one count of battery with serious bodily injury, and one count of false imprisonment, and has entered a plea of not guilty. Ghazi's attacker was allegedly one of three people, including two men and a woman, who originally got into his car at about midnight. Ghazi was driving his Toyota Sienna and getting ride referrals through Uber, UberX service, which enables people using a smartphone application to drive for hire using their own vehicles. After dropping off one man and the woman, his remaining passenger suddenly leaped into the front seat and started punching Ghazi while pulling on his seatbelt so he could not escape. Ghazi was taken to a local hospital where he was stitched up and he will need subsequent medical care. He was off work for nearly two months from both Uber and also from his day job as a custodian at a downtown building and has since returned to both positions. Ghazi previously worked as a taxi driver at night, but when his earnings plummeted as a result of Uber's impact on the market, he switched in June 2014 to the Uber platform. His lawyers claim that just because you have an app, it does not change the employer-employee relationship. The Court of Appeal reviewed the evidence required to support restitution in a criminal case. Here's what happened in the case of People versus Gracie. While confined in state prison, Gray Bond Gracie punched nurse Andrew Jones in the face multiple times. 
Jones's various injuries prevented him from returning to work as a nurse. The Victims' Compensation and Government Claims Board awarded Jones over $28,000 for lost overtime pay not covered by workers' comp benefits. Gracie pleaded no contest to an assault pursuant to an agreement that he would receive a low-term two-year sentence and be required to pay restitution to the Victims' Compensation and Government Claims Board. Thus, the court ordered him to pay restitution of the $28,000 for lost overtime wages. But Gracie appealed the restitution order, and the Court of Appeal affirmed in the unpublished case of People v. Gracie. Gracie contended on appeal that the trial court abused its discretion by not requiring the prosecution to authenticate by live testimony the underpinnings of the restitution claim. During the restitution proceeding, the prosecutor provided the court with a copy of an employment verification form which showed that Jones had earned approximately $1,900 of overtime wages per month. This documentation was used by the board to pay the $28,000 of overtime wages for a period of approximately 15 months. Gracie offered no evidence at the restitution hearing. Thus, the court held that pursuant to the government code, the amount of assistance provided shall be presumed to be a direct result of the defendant's criminal conduct and shall be included in the amount of the restitution ordered. The standard of proof at a restitution hearing is by a preponderance of the evidence, not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. When there is a factual and rational basis for the amount of restitution ordered by the trial court, no abuse of discretion will be found by the reviewing court. Here, the prosecution made a prima facie showing of Jones's loss by presenting documentary evidence. It was reasonable to assume that Jones would have continued to work the same overtime hours per month had he not suffered injuries as a result of appellant's assault. A prima facie case having been made, Appellate was free to produce contrary evidence. He did not do so. The court did not abuse its discretion in ordering Appellate to pay the board the sum it paid to Jones. And in regulatory news, SB 863 requires the administrative director to establish a fee schedule for home health services. Home health services range from skilled nurses and therapy services provided by home health agencies to unskilled personal care or chore services that may be provided by personal care aides. The 2015 RAND study on home health care for California injured workers identified options for a single fee schedule that would cover the full range of home health services. Following the RAND study, the DWC has posted draft home health care fee schedule regulations on its forum. Under the proposed regulations, home health care services are subject to the utilization review and independent medical review processes set forth in the Labor Code. An in-home assessment of the injured worker's need for home health care shall be performed by a qualified registered nurse, physical therapist, or occupational therapist employed by a home health care agency. 
These assessments will be performed using CMS's Outcome and Assessment Information Set, also known as OASIS. OASIS contains a group of standard data elements used by CMS to assess patients' needs for home health care services. Table A of the proposed regulations set forth a payment methodology and fees. The lowest hourly rates for is for chore services and homemaker services, NOS, which pays $13.60 per hour. A home health aide or certified nurse assistant is to be paid $17.10 per hour, and attendant care services show an hourly rate of $17.48 an hour. The draft regulations are posted on the DWC forum for public comment. And new copy service fee regulations become effective on July 1. The new copy service fee is a flat $180 fee for a set of records from a single custodian. By reducing the items and services that can be separately billed, regulators expect fewer disputes and prompter payments. If there are disagreements about a copy service bill, the disputes can now be handled through independent bill review instead of the more time-consuming and costly lien process. The flat fee of $180 covers records of 500 pages and under and includes mileage, postage, delivery, phone calls, page numbering, witness fees, release of information fees, and subpoena preparation. Separate charges are allocated for cancellations, certificates of no records, for records obtained from EDD and WCIRB, and for additional sets of records. For copies above 500 pages, an additional 10 cents a page is allowed. Bills for copy services must include provider tax ID numbers, professional photocopier numbers, and claim numbers, and may include newly created billing codes. DWC fees for transcripts will no longer be estimated. It will cost $100 to order a transcript of 33 pages and under from the DWC. Transcripts over 33 pages will cost an additional $3 a page. DWCs for Public Records Act requests requiring staff research will be charged at $85 an hour instead of $40 an hour. And the DWC can dispose of paper adjudication documents after 20 years. Although the fee regulations become effective on July 1, claim administrators should be aware that photocopiers are already regulated by statutes in California. A professional photocopier is defined and regulated by the Business and Professions Code. This code requires that a professional photocopier shall be registered by the county clerk of the county in which he or she resides or has his or her principal place of business and in which he or she maintains a branch office. A certificate of registration shall be accompanied by a $5,000 bond. The clerk of the county will issue an identification card. All records transmitted or distributed by a professional photocopier shall be accompanied by a certificate containing registration number and county of registration of the professional photocopier as well as other mandated information. A failure to comply with the professional photocopier requirements shall be punishable as a misdemeanor. 
it would be advisable for claims administrators to verify that all photocopied records comply with these provisions. The text of the copy service fee regulations can be found on the DWC website. And now our fraud report. A Simi Valley insurance broker has been arrested for fraud. 50-year-old Stephen Tinto was arraigned on two felony charges of insurance fraud and grand theft. Tinto allegedly pocketed a client's premium payment instead of forwarding the payment to the insurer and compounded his crime by issuing a bogus insurance certificate. Tinto transacted business as Outback Insurance Services. In 2014, he received a $1,500 premium payment on a workers' compensation insurance policy from a licensed contractor. Instead of sending the payment to the insurer, Tinto pocketed the cash. When a client of the contractor requested proof of insurance, Tinto faxed a bogus insurance certificate that indicated the contractor was insured for $100,000. When the ruse was discovered by the policyholder, Tinto issued two checks to his client as a supposed refund of premium. But Tinto's checks were returned due to insufficient funds and the policyholder was left exposed to the potential risk of an uninsured loss. Tinto is no longer a licensed agent by the California Department of Insurance. This case was investigated by the California Department of Insurance and is being prosecuted by the Ventura County District Attorney's Office. And in medical news, a new medical study of nearly 20,000 patients shows that an alarming 17% of discharged ER patients are given opioids. And experts say that is too many patients that are being prescribed opioid painkillers by emergency room doctors. These experts and lawmakers say a push under Obamacare for hospitals to get good Patient satisfaction scores is one cause of this problem. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says that America is in the midst of an opioid epidemic. Painkillers killed more than 16,000 people in 2013. A huge part of the problem is the prescribing of painkillers, which quadrupled from 1999 to 2013, and... According to the new study published in the Annals of Emergency Medicine, emergency room prescriptions are part of this trend. Patients with back pain got the most opioids, followed by those with abdominal pain. The majority of prescriptions had small pill counts and almost exclusively immediate release formulations. Oxycodone, the active ingredient in Oxycontin, was the most prescribed at 52%. Doctors may feel pressured by hospital administrators to prescribe opioids because it may lead to a better score on the patient satisfaction survey. A program created by Obamacare tied extra funding to high scores on the survey. The survey has three questions about pain, including whether the physician adequately treated the pain. While it sounds like a benign question, experts say it forces physicians and surgeons to not only ask about pain, but to be sure they are prescribing appropriate medication. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services recently announced 
publication of a five-star rating system for hospitals based in part of satisfaction survey scores. This practice hasn't gone unnoticed by Congress. Senators Chuck Grassley and Dianne Feinstein wrote to CMS last year that the surveys could impact opioid prescribing. The senators cited news reports of doctors in South Carolina admitting to prescribing more opioids in response to patient survey scores. The letter from the senators says that one hospital with low satisfaction scores even went so far as to offer Vicodin goodie bags to patients discharged from its emergency room in an effort to improve its scores. Emergency doctors face other challenges. For instance, opioid addicts will sometimes injure themselves just to get access to a small amount of painkillers. It can be hard to tell whether the patient is actually hurt or an opioid addict. And some emergency room doctors are starting to incorporate addiction treatment into their practice. And another new study says that over half of people receiving medical scans, such as x-rays, do not know if they are exposed to radiation, and many have unanswered questions even as they are waiting to undergo the tests. Previous studies have shown that when patients have more information and can share in the decision-making process, they have less anxiety and more satisfaction with their treatment. This study was published in the Journal of the American College of Radiology. The lead author claims that while the United States performs a high volume of medical scans, many patients are not informed about what the tests entail. The study team recruited 176 patients who are waiting to have medical imaging scans, including CT and nuclear medicine scans, which involved radiation and MRI, which, and ultrasounds, which do not. Researchers found that only about 46% of people correctly identified whether the test they were about to undergo employed radiation. Among people who would be drinking a radioactive contrast agent for their test, just over half knew it, while among those who would be getting the contrast agent by injection, just over 70% knew it. Patients had the greatest understanding of CT scans, a powerful type of x-ray that shows cross-sectionings of the body. Patients reported the last understanding of nuclear medicine in which the radioactive liquid contrast agents are used to enhance the image. Over half of patients said they would be interested in discussing the exam with radiologists in advance. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, although the benefits of medical testing generally outweigh the risks, being exposed to radiation can increase a person's risk of getting cancer later in life. And patients should be more aware of the risks of these exams. Patients should also feel comfortable asking about logistics of the exam, ranging from what exam is being performed, which body part is being evaluated, and the reason for the exam. And in other news, the California Coalition on Workers' Compensation 13th Annual Educational Conference is set for July 22nd through 24th. 
This will be three days of idea generation, education, and unparalleled networking opportunities enhanced by the thrills and excitement of Disneyland. At the CCWC conference, you'll find participants from the areas of human resources, health and safety, risk management and claims, as well as medical professionals and service providers. Among the many speakers over the three-day event will be David Lanier, the Secretary of the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency, and Christine Baker, the Director of the Department of Industrial Relations. The two will provide an update on the implementation of SB 863 and discuss other issues that are relevant to workers' compensation stakeholders. They will also present a review of 2015 bills that affect the industry, offering information regarding the positions that the CWC has taken on them. Alfonso J. Morisi, Commissioner of the Workers' Compensation Appeals Board, and a panel of experts will present a lively discussion among experts about workers' compensation differences in Northern and Southern California. They will go over the differences in, that so many refer to and why the discrepancies exist when legislation, regulations, and case law are the same for all. Minimum Continuing Legal Education, MCLE credits are available to attorneys and general continuing education credits are available to claims adjusters who attend the educational sessions. The California Coalition on Workers' Compensation is a member-driven alliance that has gained prominence for extensive industry knowledge and unwavering focus on advocacy and educational outreach. And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, iPod, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd, Scarron, and Kelly. Thanks again for joining us today. And please drop by again next week for more news.